Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone, and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo-jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? On today's episode of Give First, I'm really excited to have a special guest, uh, not just because he's amazing in this field, but actually because uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we've gotten to know each other over the last few years. Uh, today on the show, we have Philip McKernan. Welcome, Philip. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. I'm going to give a, a little background, but then I'll let you do a better job of it. Um, I know you work with entrepreneurs and leaders all over the world. Um, it's for people you know, that are maybe seeking clarity about their own future and, and their personal and work worlds. And uh, you've done some speaking around some Techstars events and uh, have lots of really inspirational uh, things that you talk about, write about and make films about. Um, did I get it about right? Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. You got it perfectly. I don't like these official bios where I talks about all these amazing people I stood on stage with and hung out with or coached or whatever. It just sounds very egotistical. So you 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 nailed it perfectly. I love your Boulder accent, and I'm sure the audience does too. <laughs> uh, all the way from Ireland, uh, nine years in Vancouver, Canada, and in Boulder, uh, Colorado for the last three years. Yes, and I've gotten to know you uh, in that time and uh, met many of your friends as well. So it's been an awesome relationship. We talk a lot about uh, Give First, which is the, the topic of the show here. And you know, we were just chatting about it in, in my house the other day and said, yeah, we should get you on the podcast. And we finally got that to happen. So really psyched to do that. Absolutely. So I want to talk about uh, a little bit about you. And, and I know uh, maybe that's not the easiest thing for you to talk about, but people may not know you. They, they know folks in our network um, like Jerry Colonna, who, who, you know, Jerry is widely known as a business coach uh, in our world. And maybe you could talk about your own personal journey uh, to what you do today, as well as kind of how you focus uh, you know, business versus personal. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's a lot of it stems from my own kind of journey and a lot of the mistakes I made and a lot of the lessons I've learned and I'm still learning a ton. Uh, I think for me, David, as I, I've, I've had a decent run, um, I had some successes. Uh, the analogy that I think can best describe and capture you know, where I was personally, my work and my coaching really intersects, you know, where personal, our personal lives overlap our, our business. So it's more on the personal side. I think a lot of us build businesses in the hope that they'll make us happy and fulfilled. And sometimes they do, but sometimes they, they leave us on top of a mountain, having achieved something, you know, significant, something we set out to do. And I certainly can, can attest to this standing on the top of the mountain, having achieved something and then looking around going, shit, I thought it would feel different. Um, I thought I would have a better sense of fulfillment or peace of mind. And the mistake I kept making, which was a deep pattern, is I kept saying, oh, I'd look across the horizon, pick another mountain and say, when, when I climb that mountain, then I'll be happy. 
And um, it just, there was an underlying pattern I was uh, afraid to address. And that was, um, I kept picking mountains that did make some, you know, degree of adjustment and happiness, but ultimately they weren't fulfilling me on a personal level. And that's really the basis of my own story. And a lot of the work that I do with people, making sure that when they're building a business, they don't forget about their personal lives along the way. So you're mostly in your work, working with entrepreneurs who in, in many cases have had good success. Um, and, and I think I hear that a lot from those people, right? It's really surprising when you talk to someone, you know, maybe who's built a tech stars company or has, has, has done something great that is actually, you look at it and you say, wow, that's so successful. The people who did that must be so happy. And, and then you, you sort of talk to them and sometimes you feel like, you know, yeah, it's actually this thing that I've built is hard. It's difficult. And, you know, I'm uh, maybe thinking about a transition. And, and is that the type of person that you tend to interact with as someone who has been quite successful? Or do you work with people that are maybe earlier in their entrepreneurial careers as well? Yeah, there's been a transition for me. I think at the early parts of the coaching that I've been doing, and I've been coaching for, for 15 years officially and, and professionally. And then beyond that, I think my mother always said I was a, a coach. I shouldn't use that word, but I was always the go-to guy. I think initially people were coming to me in a very reactive space. In other words, they'd, they'd be building their business. They didn't have the time to take to step back in their own lives. They were you know, climbing that ladder, uh, hoping that when they have that financial freedom or that, that space after an, ex, an exit, for example, that um, you know, then they'd have the space to, to work in themselves and to really figure out what they wanted to do when they grew up. I think what's happened over the last four or five years, probably, probably because I've grown up a lot. And I think because my messaging and who I am and the people I want to work with, people are coming to me now in a very proactive manner. They're saying, listen, I think everything's okay, um, but I don't want to make an assumption that it is. So for example, something that not many people know is I do and have done a lot of work with couples for a long time. So how do you navigate you know, a startup? How do you build a business and make sure that yourself and your partner, your wife or your husband, um, you know, you're, you're, you're on that same page, that you keep connected, that you keep growing collectively and independently. Um, but the research shows that couples, why, you know, they wait five years too late to work on their relationship. So what is a, a very hairline minor thing today becomes a Grand Canyon in the future. And I feel that's the same for us personally, is that, you know, I think if, if the worst thing that can happen if someone comes to me is they walk away going, yeah, I knew that. And that's great. But what if you walk away going, holy shit, I was one degree off. And if you compound that over the next five years, you know, I could end up in a situation where I'm maybe very successful on paper, but not so happy in my personal life. And I just think that's a tragedy. And I don't think it's necessary and I don't think it needs to happen. So that's, that's what I'm here to prevent. One of the things that uh, I think happens around entrepreneurship is things get accelerated, right? So the stresses of having your own company, right? Maybe in that personal relationship show up earlier than they might uh, in many fields. Agreed. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, definitely, you know, in the world today where there's an opportunity to, I mean, incredible opportunity to, to create startups, to create things out of, out of nothing, things that didn't exist, disrupting ideas, disrupting industries. Um, and scaling a business to, to do that, I think the, 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 the speed in which people are moving today is, is definitely heightened. And it certainly, you know, kind of highlights those cracks a little bit sooner in the journey. So um, that, there's, there's no doubt about that. One of the things that really stands out to me about um, the events that, that you do is they are very emotional. Um, yeah, I've been to uh, One Last Talk, uh, which is one of the events that, that you've put on. Uh, I've also heard of people who've who've gone as far as going over to Ireland and and hanging out on the cliffs. You know, what what's so important about pe getting people out of their normal context 
why would you take them all the way to Ireland, for example, to work with them? Well, I know this sounds very corny and cliche, but somebody asked me once, why did you leave Ireland? Was that always part of the plan? Did you dislike Ireland? Were the police, you know, the cops after you? Was the taxman after you? And uh, despite the rumors, none of the above. I just, I felt I needed to leave the place that I knew, the people that I knew, and the people that knew me in a certain context to really understand who I was and to reinvent, you know, myself in a way that is in more alignment with who I am. And I feel that's the same. So if I gave you or your listeners a question today, just to ponder and one of them sitting on the tube in London and he hears or she hears that question, that question will land at a certain point. You give the same question to that person, exactly the same question on a beach in, in Jamaica where they have their family around and they're checking in on the office and everything else, that question will land accordingly. You give that same question in the mountains in Peru on the west coast of Ireland with the sea breeze, the, the salt in your face, listening to haunting music, walking a 5,000 year old road after doing deep reflective work on yourself, that question is going to penetrate your soul at a level that ordinarily is not available. So that that to me is about shifting the landscape that we, we, we work in and getting into these environments and allowing allowing nature and the places that we are at to be the other facilitator that I, I don't think there's anything quite like getting into a great environment, getting out into nature and asking just really simple, profound questions about who you are today and who you want to be tomorrow. And I, and, that, and that's why we go as far as Ireland or Peru or Guatemala or India, for that matter, with these experiences. So I mentioned one last talk earlier, Philip, and and you know many people listening may not know what that is. So first, I'll ask you to describe it. But my, my way of thinking about it is, you know, in the same way that that TechStars does something like Startup Weekend, right? You have these events that you put on that that really change people's lives, but you're not really expecting to get anything out of it. In particular, it, it's it's not your core business. Uh, talk about how you know why you do that uh, and how it's maybe a little bit of give first from you all and what the event is. Yeah, I was traveling the world, speaking at events, and um, you know, I think there was there's this idea of of I, I'm not a big fan of this idea of urgency, but I think there's this great little story floating around the world about the son or who goes to the hospital um, to see his father who's dying, and the doctor comes out to the wedding room and he says it's time, and the son says, oh, is he passing away now? And he said, no, another two or three days. But it's time to have that conversation. And the son said, what conversation? And he said, the one you probably should have had 15 years ago. And I feel that, you know, a lot of us, um, and it's not a criticism, it's not a judgment. We all do it. I think a lot of us, you know, you know, keep going at a certain pace. And it's not until we have a wake-up call of sorts, whether it's a health scare, you know, facing our own mortality, somebody else losing somebody else, maybe our marriage falling apart or, or, or being under stress, do we finally start to look and reevaluate our lives? And what I'm trying to do is through one last talk and other, you know, one last talk um, opportunities um, is really try to bring some of these conversations to the forefront a little bit sooner in our life because there's a lot of research out there. One very significant body of research says 90% of people go to their you know, die with major life regrets. Um, and again, I just think that's a, that's a tragedy that doesn't need to happen. So for me, one last talk is a place for people to come and to uh, you know, share a part of themselves that perhaps they don't want the world to know, to free themselves and everybody else. And when I set that up, David, at the beginning, that was a gift. That was the biggest gift I think I've ever created because it was my gift to the universe. It was my gift to the world. And it was a live event. We, we didn't make any money off it. And, and yet now here I am years later and it's opening up all these opportunities that I never would have imagined without you know, starting off somewhere. I mean, that's the beauty of the whole idea of Give First is you know, it, it leads to things that are completely unexpected from the universe. I and mean, you ended up um, writing a book. 
uh, by the same name, One Last Talk. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to guess that you've gotten back uh, randomness from, from that give. But, you know, I went to uh, one of those events, One Last Talk in Boulder, and, and I, you know the story. I, I went home and I was like emotionally wrecked having heard like these people uh, just so being so brave to talk about these things that, you know, whether it was their time in prison or something that happened to them when they were a child. Right. And uh, it was clearly really helping them. And you had clearly, you know, put a lot of time and energy into helping them tell that story. But yeah, you look at it and you say, well, that's, that's not his business. What, what, what's come back to you that maybe you hadn't expected from that type of activity? Oh, it's endless. Um, I mean, I just don't even know where to start. I mean, number one is um, I had an opportunity to write a new book called One Last Book, which essentially is is um, if you had one book in you, not the book you think will sell, not you, not the book you think the world needs. If you could only write one book, what would it be? Um, so I just had an opportunity to to write that book with a very well known author and collaborate with that individual. Um, you know, you um, you know suggested and, and came up with this idea on the back of one last talk about one last startup. Um, you know, that alone, if if we can get one person in the world to think about if I had one last startup uh, to create, you know, what would it be, and 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 why would I do that? I think if we can get one person to take that idea that's hidden in their back pocket that they're afraid to produce and dust it off and throw it on the table, um, I think two things are going to happen. One is I think that's the idea that'll change the world the most. And secondly, that's the idea that'll change your world the most. Um, and then just relationships, David. I mean, being invited to speak at different places, bringing one last talk into corporations and organizations, which I didn't imagine, bringing one last talk into a prison, um, having somebody doing a one last talk in 13 cities around the world in the first two or three months of next year, uh, somebody who's doing a one last talk for students. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's scary and, and amazing to think what has come from that. And yet it was simply an idea that I was going to give to the world. And uh, yeah, that's just a taste of what, what, what I've been given and, and received back as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, that's the hallmark of true give first is, you know, you're not, you're not doing it for any transactional benefit. You're, you're doing it because it feels like an interesting thing to do. And then, you know, communities rally around it and, you know, again, we've had similar experience with, with uh, Startup Weekend. But, you know, one last talk, you go there and, and the people are speaking as if it's the last thing they could ever talk about, right? And they're telling you something that maybe they don't, you know, normally would never say and, and otherwise would go to their grave with. And, you know, I think that's the idea behind One Last Book. And, and when we started talking about One Last Startup, um, which we, you and I were just riffing on, you know, the idea that, you know, I don't know, there's a thousand startup weekends a year that happen around the world. And all those people are thinking about what's my next business. And, and to think about it as, well, what's your last business that you could, could ever create, I think is really powerful, right? And it's just a, a mental model for thinking about what really matters and what you can't leave this earth not doing, right? Um, so I, I hope that we can roll it out together in, in some of these contexts. But just the, the general concept is just so interesting to me. Yeah, I th I'm finding this this trend or this pattern with a lot of people who are beginning to consider, you know, transition, like what's next for me? What's the next chapter of my life? What's the next mountain? What's the next, whatever that, whatever that analogy is. 
And as they begin to imagine that, I think one of the the limiting things that we do is we look at what's next for us through the lens of who we have been historically, what we have done, what we have learned, what we have built, and who we are known as. So it becomes a very strong, integral part of our identity. So if I've done created a startup around you know one subject matter or one item or one service product or you know one innovative idea, I often think about well, how do I take that and run with what's next? Um, I think the whole idea of one last, the, the invitation, the challenging nature of it is, is to go beyond, you know, these these lenses that we have and actually to reimagine, like, who could I be? And I'll always remember this years ago. I, one of the very first coaching clients I had, he came to an event and he said, um, I want to build a, a, an investment portfolio. This is what I want to do. And I want you to help me and, and, and coach me to not just create this business, but to make sure that it's in alignment with who I am. And I said, well, great. I'm glad you asked that. What do you do for fun? And he said, well, as I said, Philip, I, you know, I love my business and I want to build a real estate portfolio and I love my family. And I said, great, but what else outside of that? And he was getting increasingly frustrated and more and more frustrated. And finally, he said, you know, I write. And I said, oh, you're a writer. And he goes, well, I've never been paid to write. And I said, well, that's an interesting comment. And I, I kept going and going and going. And then finally he stopped me, Dave, and he said, listen, Philip, can I just make something really clear? I'm not here to learn how to write. I'm not here to be challenged on writing. I'm here to build a business. And I looked at him and I said, well, I appreciate your insight in that. Just so you know, I'm not here to take your money and, and allow you to go down a path that may not serve you. So we are going to examine writing until I feel and you feel that it is off the table. It's not what you want to do. And he looked at me and he was vibrating with anger. And in a moment of just pure frustration, he said, okay, effort. He said, all I've ever wanted to do since I was a child is travel the world and write books. Now, can we get back to the real estate, please? To which I said, not a chance. This is an amazing story. I I mean, I, I have experiences that are sort of like that in the context of Techstars Accelerators. Uh, one of my favorite is Next Big Sound, an early company, right? They, they, they literally came in day two of the accelerator and said, we don't know what, you know, we don't, we don't think this thing we're working on is going to work. I had them write 10 ideas on the board and, and seven of them were fundamentally the same general <laughs> area, right? It's the same industry, the same type of startup. I'm like, well, let's just cross off the other three because this is clearly what you care about. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, the other three are just, businesses that you think are interesting. And I think especially in the context of thinking about how you're going to spend 10 or 20 years, an epic of your life, right? It's so important to do something that you actually love. And and I have a fundamental belief that that leads to, you know, success as opposed to something that you just think is looks good on paper. Totally. I was at a conference recently and I shared this story and somebody put their hand up and said, well, whatever happened to this man? And I said, well, actually he's, he's uh, very depressed, never wrote a, another book in his life. And of course people don't often get my sarcasm or maybe I have a bad sense of humor. He's traveling the world and writing books. Is his life perfect? No, it's not. But here's one of the things, Dave, and I'm not sure if you've come across this, is that it's hard for a lot of us to let go of what we've built and the training we've had. So my wife is a trained accountant. And yet she knew for a very long time she didn't want to be an accountant. The challenge for her and many people is, well, how do I walk away from the education? How do I walk away from all those years learning how to be an accountant? Are you asking me to turn my back on that? And I think we often see that as wasted time or opportunity as opposed to turning that into a sense of curiosity rather than berating ourselves and beating ourselves up saying, hey, I wasn't accounted. Now I know what I don't want to do. How do I pivot that and take that energy rather than beating myself up and feeling a loss? Take that energy and create something that really matters to me in the future. And I think that is an invitation and a challenge for a lot of people. So, so how much of the work you do is really just kind of uncovering you know, someone's real gift that they may not even be aware of? 
a lot of it. I mean, again, to me, a lot of us spend this time on this earth executing our talents and there is no judgment. There's no nothing wrong with that. But a lot of us don't honor our gifts. And the greatest joy for me when, when, a, when a, particularly when you know, relationships, when people start to connect better at home and connect better with themselves and everything else. But one of the greatest things for me is when people start to, something emerges that they never saw that has been with them for a very long time. And they start to experiment in that. They start to play with that idea. They don't have to jump into doing it professionally. Um, but I do believe that a lot of us go to our graves with, with our greatest gift, uh, having never been tapped into within ourselves and, um, and, and again, my job is to try to awaken people to that sooner in the process rather than waiting. Obviously, if, if someone's listening to this and, you know, they, they sort of find themselves in this situation, you know, thinking about what's next for them or what their true calling is, you know, one way to figure that out is go to, you know, philipmccernan.com and, and learn more. But, but how, how would someone that maybe doesn't have access to you or, you know, how, how would they think about figuring out what their gift is? Well, for me, it's just allowing themselves permission to consider that it's there, that it's something that perhaps they they are are unaware of. Um, I'm a big, massive fan also of looking at our, our current existences and our current lives and really looking at what's working and what's not working, as opposed to jumping a little bit too fast into into the future. I'll give, I'll give you an exercise, David, and I feel even al- already it's a little of a risky exercise because this may land for certain people and it may not land for anybody. But I was at an entrepreneurial conference recently. And I was asked to do a round table and about 40 people showed up from about 120 people in the audience. And um, I, rather than over prepare for it, I decided just to create some space and just see what are some of the common themes in the room. And essentially the common theme for most people was this idea of transition, like what's next. And I often feel that when people are looking at what's next, they are naturally moving from a place of executing their talent to wondering what their gift is. They move from a place of, you know, making money, building a business. Uh, not that it's that they're not giving back to society or, or, or contributing, but it tends to be they, they're focused a lot on those, those, those core things. But when it comes to that, you know, second part of their life or the third act or the fourth, whatever place they're at, they want to give back. They want to give back in a, in a different kind of way. They want to matter in the world. They want to contribute in a different way. And I decided to do this exercise and in this interview and this, this conversation, I might feel out of context, but it's, it's really powerful. And it's to draw, it's to consider what is the pain point that we ourselves had as an entrepreneur, as a father, as a mother, as a son, as a daughter, what are some of these pain points that we've had? And to begin to imagine somebody that actually has that pain point. Um, so draw an actual picture. I and mean, this might sound very immature and very silly, but it's really, really powerful draw a picture of that person, name that person, give them curly hair, give them glasses, give them freckles, whatever it happens to be, and name that person, almost like an avatar exercise. And then the invitation is, can you be that voice? Like, what is the person you needed to meet? Who is the mentor that you needed to sit down with that could have alleviated that pain for you? And this is a business thing. This is not just personal. Who could have alleviated that pain for you five or six or seven or 10 or 20 years ago? And the invitation ultimately is, are you going to do something about that? And, and it's not about becoming a coach or an executive coach or building a podcast or writing a book, but can you reach out to somebody in your network and give back through helping one man or one young woman that is suffering from the thing that you suffered from 10, 15, 20 years ago? And it was profound how many people came to me afterwards and continue to come to me afterwards saying the clarity they got in terms of the impact they could make in the world that they'd never seen before, but by making it personal, it actually brings this genuine alignment up in, in you know, from them in terms of what's next. You heard it here. Get your crayons out. Uh, you've, you've made me do that sort of thing. And I drew a very awful picture, but it, it did the job. Um, made me think about, 
you know, how, how do I want to feel when I'm you know, 10 or 20 years older in the case that we were doing? But this, this is very powerful when you name something. It's even more powerful when you depict it in some way. Yeah. I love the fact you said I made you do that. You made me. You forced me. <laughs> you, you, well, I was in a thing that I felt obligated to do. You know, I paid some money and I went to this thing and you said, we're going to draw. And I said, can I leave now? And you said, no. So, Lock the doors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Philip, so maybe you can think of a time, maybe earlier in your life or in your career, where you, you helped in, in some way and kind of gave first to someone or some community that came back to you in an unexpected way. Is there anything like that that you could share? Yeah. So I was um, I was in the coffee business um, for for years, and then I went into I was in the wine business first, went into the coffee business, and while I was enjoying the business, and um, you know there was many aspects of it that I was getting you know success and accolades and, and money, I did did this have this burning desire to kind of give back in a in a different way, and and coaching was the thing that kept coming up, and people kept coming to me. So um, I decided that I would actually take on a, a couple of coaching clients, and I would meet them in a pub um, in Ireland upstairs in this little landing. It We'd have a cup of tea. We didn't have beer uh, until the last evening. And I would meet them one hour every week for six weeks. And at the end of it, they would give me a check for whatever they felt it was worth. And we would give that you know, money to their charity or my charity of choice because I wanted to take that whole you know, kind of energy of money and, and pressure off. Um, and I did that because I loved it. And I think that's one of the tragedies today is that, you know, we, we often don't give ourselves permission to do these things and experiment with these things on the side outside of our core businesses, because, you know, we either feel the need to monetize them or we think they dis- they detract from our core focus. Um, and I look back on those early days of, of working with those three or four individuals sitting in that pub in Ireland, and I never would have imagined I'd be doing that full time as a professional today. But if I didn't do that, if I didn't experiment, if I didn't give back in that way, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you and, and, and doing what I'm doing. Incredible. Hey, I want to talk about this concept of holding space. Uh, you and, and Jerry Colonna uh, both talk about this concept a lot. I never really understood it until pretty recently. Uh, what is it and how can entrepreneurs benefit from it? Oh, boy. Well, I just did a, a conference call about an hour ago uh, with a group of leaders that I'm working with. And we actually, that was the subject matter they wanted me to talk about. Um, and while it's a converse, conversational opportunity for all of us, um, I did actually prepare something which is kind of unusual for me in that regard. But, you know, holding space for somebody is probably one of the most sacred things you can do. Um, and, and I feel that one of the challenges with a lot of entrepreneurs is that, they bring a kind of a fixed attitude from that works very, very well in business. And they try to apply that to their home life. So they bring a very intellectual solution to what is ultimately an emotionally charged situation where perhaps our wives or our husbands just simply want to be heard at home and not just listened to, but heard. And we bring this idea of, but you want me to, I'll fix that. I mean, here's a solution and you know, here's a Google link to the 10 step process. And, and, and sometimes that doesn't work very well. It kind of blows up in our faces, but holding space is, is going beyond the traditional listening. And it's actually trying to hear what somebody is saying um, and, and trying to almost connect with what they're saying. And it's also abandoning um, your own self-interest and letting go of the need to have the answer, which is almost virtually impossible for a lot of people today, is that can they just listen to somebody without the need to chirp in and give them an answer? In business, when there's sales there's clients at risk, there's time at risk, there's an opportunity cost, it's different. Sometimes we need to move 
and have solutions in real time. But when it comes to personal conversations, coaching people within your organization, being a leader, I think we need to be able to, to suspend our self-interest and also have a, you know, it creates a deep respect for other people. They feel really, really, really heard. Um, but the other thing I said to the group as well is that when you jump in with an answer, you're actually depriving that person of an opportunity of self-awareness and self-trust to build this idea that they actually have the answers within them. So to me, holding space is a, is a big thing. And a, a lot of the reasons we don't is because our own ego desperately wants to have the answer and be in control. And, and if we can suspend that, I think what we can be is an effective listener, hearer, and leader as a result. It sounds like a good skill for any executive in any company, uh, but particular startups that are struggling with their own issues. So yeah. maybe people can get some use out of that. Totally. Uh, this part of the show, Philip, we like to end with uh, what we call rapid fire. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Give me quick answers, 30 seconds or less, and we'll try to share some some of your thoughts on these few topics that work for you. Yep, go. How about a city in the world that you think everybody should visit before they die? Oh, my good God. Um, I would say Cusco and Peru. Want to say anything about it? Um, I just think it's the people. They've just got this incredibly warm energy. I know it's it, it's gone slightly touristy over the last you know ten or twenty years, but it's just the people. People are just most welcoming. Some of the most welcoming people on earth. Awesome. How about a book that you've read recently that you think uh, people should should definitely check out? Um, I'm not a big reader, but uh, I think Man's Search for Meaning is a is a book that my wife picked up the other day, and I'd read it about six months ago, and um, I just think it's a beautiful reminder of 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 the human experience. But a charity or a nonprofit that you think everybody should check out and maybe support? Um, from well, there's, a, there's an organization I just contributed today called Rebuilding Sri Lanka, which basically is was built on the back of the tsunami. But actually, beyond that, they um, you know you know build orphanages and schools and libraries and stuff like that. Um, but I'd also highly recommend people. Um, you know, actually go out and just contribute themselves rather than just writing a check. There's nothing wrong with giving money, but there's something very valuable, therapeutic, and also scientifically proven that when you give your own time, you start to literally shift as a human being. So I would encourage people to do that. Huge plus one to that. Uh, last question. If you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, uh, who would it be? Professor Anthony Clare. Um, so uh, he was a gentleman. I, I dated his daughter for years. He was a psychiatrist who had a BBC, BBC television series. He wrote various books. He was the the go to psychiatrist for many of the stars that some of which I can mention, some of which I am not allowed to still to this day. I dated his daughter for five years. We traveled the world. He has subsequently had a heart attack and died. Uh, he had a profound impact on me. He was he was judged as uh, in the psychiatry profession as being uh, a maverick and being disrespectful because he demystified psychiatry and refused to just, you know, give people drugs and, and, and prescribe what he did as long as he understood their story. He has now been dubbed as the greatest psychiatrist of his generation in Europe. Um, if I could go back and have dinner with him, I'd, I'd sit in front of him and I thank him for the indirect inspiration and obsessive human, you know, the, the, my obsession with human behavior. A lot of that came from him. Awesome. I thought you were going to say that, that he was the namesake of County Clare in Ireland. No, no, it's actually spelled the same way, Anthony Clare. And it's spelled exactly the same as the little county that you and I walk those fields in and my mother's from. So, uh, yeah, but not, not, no, not the, he's not from County Clare. Philip, thanks for the time with us and thanks for uh, all you've done to, to give first in a different way around the world. And uh, I know you've helped a lot of people who are super appreciative of that. And 
we'll put some uh, links to some of your resources in the show notes here. But yeah, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First.